only source of true delight whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding Today's reading of the word comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. You can find and follow the reading in the uh, Blue Pew Bible in front of you on page 109, I mean 1009. Hebrews 13, 1 through 17, the word of our Lord. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of, the, of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not, be led, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let us pray that the Lord would bless our time. Lord, we come to this word that you have given us. Lord, you've blessed us in history that we have this word in our language, and we've had it for many years, and we have all kinds of helps, so many guides. We have, Lord, people 
that have opened the Word up to us. Lord, all of these ways you've demonstrated your desire that we would know your Word. Lord, may we take advantage of all that you've given us. This Word that reveals to us who you are, who we are in you, what we can be by your grace and power. Lord, thank you for this revelation. Bless us as we come to it. Fix our hearts on it. Enable us to fold it into our lives and live it out for your glory and honor. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you come to the uh, bulletin and see the title, Worship and Love, Part 2, it's like a two-part miniseries that you thought started on Monday night and you tune in and it started on Sunday night. You know, and you're like, oh, part two, if you're visiting with us. Um, and so I want to summarize just briefly what part one was. And, and simply this, that people who really worship God really love people. And that the two always go hand in hand. That they are joined at the hip. That they are always present with each other. We saw just a few chapters earlier in Hebrews 10 that when we enter into his presence, we are immediately encouraged, uh, told to encourage one another in love and good deeds. In fellowship with him, our immediate business is to love one another. And then we saw in Ephesians 3, only as we are in fellowship with one another proclaiming the love of God to one another and demonstrating that love of God to one another, can we together understand more and more of His love? So in fellowship with God, we enter into fellowship with one another and in fellowship with one another, we continually enter into deeper fellowship with God. What a glorious a wedding of our relationship to God and our relationship to each other. And just a reminder before we go on, this is a part of His salvation to make us to be worshipers and lovers of one another. This isn't something that He calls us to without transforming us and enabling us to do things that we couldn't otherwise I picture 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 talks about how he uh, died in order that we should no longer live for ourselves. I kind of picture that as we're in, pardon the earthiness of my illustration, but they were all living in our little personal outhouse, okay? That's self. Devoted to self, all my priorities are according to self. And what he does, he says that we would no longer live for ourselves in this tiny little terrible, stinking circle of self. And he puts us into an expansive, glorious castle so that I no longer live for myself, but I live for him. And I live for the one. In fact, I'm, I become in love with and devoted to the one who sacrificed himself for others. And that begins to transform me so that I begin to spin myself for others instead of being in my own little tiny spot. It's a castle of liberty. It's a castle of freedom in which, as Jesus describes it, 
We die to self. The seed dies in order that it bears fruit. And as we love as Jesus loves, he says, my joy will be in you and your joy will be full. Thank God that this is his salvation. It's his salvation. It's not just God saying, okay, you've got to love one another. You've got to worship, but I will transform you. I will save you into people who worship and love. Well, let's talk a bit more about two things. Love is the context for worship in Scripture. And then we're going to see that love is an aspect of worship in the Scriptures. It's the context for worship, and it's an aspect of worship. We saw already last week, Psalm 22, verse 22, where... The psalmist says, I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. We saw that that's not simply the psalmist, but the the true, ultimate, righteous person who is in the assembly, the writer of Hebrews says, is Jesus Christ himself. And he speaks this to us. And in that context, the writer of Hebrews says, he's not ashamed to call us brethren. And he quotes this verse. Jesus is pictured as the righteous leader of the worship of the people of God as he is a man and worshiping his father. And so here's Christ, our supreme example, desiring to be among his brethren, not ashamed to call them his brethren. If anybody would hang back and say, well, I don't want to hang around those people. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be with those church people. You'd think it'd be Jesus, you know. But no, Jesus is not ashamed to call us brethren. He is eager to be with his people. And I want you, I hope that you're still in Hebrews 13 on page 1009. And on that same page, I want you to look at what he says in verses 22 and following in chapter 12. Same page, 1009. Very interesting how he describes worship in the context of heaven. We've come to Christ, but now he describes kind of the full range of that, what it means. And he's given a contrast to these Jews he's writing to, to say, we're not at that mountain, Mount Sinai, anymore. We're not at the foot of the mountain where there's blazing lightning and uh, those terrible words that made them beg for no further words to be spoken. But this is our situation. Notice verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all. And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel spoke condemnation to Cain. This blood speaks salvation. But notice, emphatically, we are not allowed to think, it's just me and God. I don't need the church. I don't need the people of God. I don't want to be around those people. Well, notice, you have to get into this a bit before you finally get to God. 
You get that? It's amazing. You'd think you might just say, we have come to God. And that just ended it, you know. Nothing more needs to be said. We've come to God himself. But no, we've come to the city, the heavenly Jerusalem. This speaks of society. It speaks of relationship. We're in the company of angels. It's important that we understand that. And we are part of the assembly of the firstborn. Later, he calls them the spirits of the righteous made perfect. That is not a small thing for him to say. You've come to an assembly gathered in the worship of God. And so if you're not around these people, so to speak, you're not going to be anywhere around God. Because this is what being in his presence means. It means being in his presence with the people of God, in relationship to the people of God, loving the people of God. His people come with the territory. They come with the territory. And as we saw last week, John says in his letter, 1 John 5, 1, everyone who loves God, who loves the Father, loves whomever has been born of Him. Everyone who loves God loves those who are born of Him. Now, when this context is disrupted, when the context of loving relationship is disrupted, worship is disrupted, according to Scripture. You recall what Jesus said in Matthew 5. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, forget about your brother because nothing matters more than the fact that you're in the presence of God offering your gift at the altar. No, it's not what it says. It's what it could have said because you think nothing is as important as the worship of God. And okay, so there's a problem with my brother. This is God I'm talking about. You can almost hear your own personal justification in that, you know. I'm sorry, I just, you know, it's just me and God. I'm just, I won't let anything interrupt my fellowship with God. Now, what Jesus says is, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. How important is it? A break in fellowship with your brother is seen as a break in fellowship with God himself. It is the context in which worship must take place. The context of the united people of God, the context of love. It's the same thing we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This concerns the Lord's Supper. The Lord's table. This is page 958 if you want to turn there. He's dealing with the problem that's occurring in many areas, but one was the Lord's Supper itself. He says in verse 18, In the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. And notice, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? 
So the situation is in which there's the agape feast, the love meal, where all the people of God are to gather and share their food with one another. And they're actually eating this meal, which then ushers into the Lord's table itself. They're actually eating this meal together. And some people are separated off eating their rich banquet. And some people don't have any food at all. But you might, they might be saying that, you know, we're partaking in Holy Communion here. We're, we're participating in the blood of Christ. This has ultimate meaning in my intimacy and fellowship with Jesus Christ. Oh, the body and bread of Jesus is here. It doesn't matter how sincere that sounds. It doesn't matter how much they may talk about the body and blood of Jesus Christ. This is a celebration of the love of Christ as they're despising one another. And that's why he says later in this passage, in verse 27, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. The very eating is a blasphemy, a profaning of it, because I am directly opposing its meaning, which of all things, it's a revelation of the love of Christ, the love of God for us in Christ. He says, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And I think of the Passover What an amazing contrast at the Passover when those whose houses have the blood of the Passover spread over their doorpost. And they are safe and and they're eating a meal. It's a fellowship meal. It's a kind of peace offering, as they were described later, in which you exhibit the fellowship and intimacy that you have with God as you sit at the table and eat with Him. And you're eating the sacrifice victim, enjoying all the fruits of that sacrifice, which brings you into intimate fellowship with God. At the same time that's happening, judgment is being poured out on the Egyptians and the firstborn are being killed. So right at the same time, such a picture of the final separation of the righteous and the wicked. At the time of intimate, joyful fellowship, there is judgment. This is even more striking because he's saying right at the time of your participation in the true Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, a symbol, you are being judged. You are drinking judgment to yourself. That is frightening language. Why? Because you're proposing to be worshipers while you're devoted to hurt one another and turning away from one another's needs. So love must be the context of our worship. And if that love is broken and torn apart, if we are opposed to that love and destroying that love and unity, then there is no worship. That's why we won't turn there, but in Isaiah 1, he actually addresses the leaders of Israel as... You rulers of Sodom, hear the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. And you can imagine the rulers of Israel said, Sodom? 
Who are you calling Sodom? Gomorrah? What? No, we're not. No, we don't participate. He's likening the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah, which we see in other passages, had as much to do with their immorality, well known in the situation with Lot, as with their refusal to do good to the poor, which is listed specifically in terms of Sodom in the prophets. And so, he says, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? I've had enough of the burnt offerings. I do not delight in these things. When you come appear before me, who's required of you this trampling of my courts? The whole thing is obnoxious to me. Everything has become a burden to me, God says. My soul hates your feasts. I'm weary of them. What language. I am totally fed up and obnoxious. I'm tired of the whole thing. He puts it in language we can understand. He says, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, and listen, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. So here was a people neglecting the needs of those around them, but proposing to worship this God of love and compassion, the father of the fatherless, the one who looks out for the afflicted, and we will ignore the fatherless and the afflicted as we show honor to him. God says, I'm sick of it. I'm absolutely sick of it. So, love and relationship is the necessary context for the worship of God. It substantiates, it it validates that worship to show that we really are worshiping the God of love. We're really worshiping the God who sacrifices for others because we are exhibiting that same character. We admire that character and we're reflecting that character in our lives. And then secondly, more briefly, love is a vital aspect of the worship of God. And here... In Ephesians, I mean, I'm sorry, in Hebrews, this is why I wanted this passage read mainly for the uh, verses 15 and 16 on page uh, 1010. Love is a vital aspect of the worship of God. It's seen in the language of sacrifice and worship. Notice in verse 15, let us continually offer, offer up a sacrifice of praise to God That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, a sacrifice is always that which we offer up to God. It's not something we offer up to other people. It's something that we give to God. It's something that is totally... It has totally to do with worship itself. All worship in the Old Testament had to do with sacrifice. It's the central act of worship in the Old Testament. And of course, Christ is our sacrifice, but now our uh, worship is spoken of in terms of that sacrifice, of giving ourselves up to Him. But notice, our giving of ourselves up to Him, a sacrifice that's oriented to God to please Him, is what? It's doing good and sharing. 
So the horizontal has everything to do. That is our worship now, at least one critical aspect of this. The sacrifice he is looking for, the sacrifice that pleases him, the worship that pleases him is that we are doing good and sharing. Now, we're not saying from a liberal standpoint that that's all we do. We don't care about truth. We don't care about the Word of God. We don't care about preaching the Word of God or worshiping God. I hope by your being here, you know that we're devoted to the worship of God. But this is an aspect of our worship spoken of in terms of sacrifice. Paul did this in Philippians 4. I've received, as he's speaking about a gift that the Philippians gave him, he says, I've received this gift. It's a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So the gift that went to Paul is viewed as a sacrifice of worship given up to God. And that, that really can give you a whole different dimension, even in loving your own husband or wife, loving your neighbor, loving difficult people, is to say, oh, Lord, I would offer up this sacrifice to you. You are the object of all that I do. Even in loving others, Lord, I give myself up as an instrument into your hand. I would honor you because you're a God of love. You've loved me when I was unlovable. Oh, Lord, I would honor you and worship you and adore you by giving myself up to love as you have loved me. Paul saw all the Gentiles that came to know Christ. He looked at all of them as an offering that he made to God. Everything in his life was part of this worship and sacrifice to God. And isn't it interesting in Romans 12, we don't have time to go there, but when he talks about presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice to God, how much in that context he talks about loving one another. My sacrifice to God, totally devoted to His will, means then that I will contribute to the needs of the saints. I will seek to show hospitality. I will love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I will bless those that persecute me. I will rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. I will live in harmony with, we will live in harmony with one another. On and on and on. You see, for Paul, you make that living sacrifice of being devoted to God and it will have everything to do with what you do for others. It is a part of your worship. Love is a vital aspect of my giving myself up to Him. And here is a glorious example, Christ Himself. Notice how Paul puts this in Ephesians 5. Walk in love as Christ loved us And gave himself up for us. And then it's described as this. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But notice what this fragrant offering was. He loved us. And he gave himself up for us. That love that Christ had for us. And that sacrifice to do us good. That was a fragrant offering to the Father. It was a reflection, a perfect, glorious reflection of the Father's love for His people. And He set that love upon them before the foundation of the world. And Jesus Christ perfectly, gloriously displayed that love because He loved us and, and gave Himself for us. 
And that was a sweet aroma to the Father. It was an offering and a sacrifice. It was a worship given to the Father in that sense, you see. An offering to Him. Well, it's seen then in the way that love is talked talked about in terms of sacrifice and worship. It's seen in the connection that people have with God. Let me just mention these to you. In creation, Proverbs 14 says, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. He who is generous to the needy honors him. So, lurking in a sense behind every human being that you see, and I'll throw in here James 3, with our tongues we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. With the same mouth come blessing and cursing. These things ought not to be. So every single person that we deal with, it, how we deal with them, God takes it personally. Does that make sense? Every single person that you deal with, God takes it personally. If we ignore a poor man, God takes it personally. If we bless the poor man, God takes it personally. If we curse someone, God takes it personally because this one's made in His image. See how bound up our relationship to God and our relationship to others is. And then it really intensifies when we think not only about creation but redemption. In Matthew 25, when the separation and judgment day of goats and sheep, and Jesus says, I was hungry, and I was thirsty, and I was a stranger, and I was naked, and I was in prison, and I was sick. And you, sheep, you met my needs. And of course, their reaction is, I just don't remember seeing you ever in any of those situations. Could you help me out here? It says, in that you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And of course, for the goats, in that you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. See how personal it is. It intensifies. It's not only creation because everyone's made in the image of God, but now we're one body. And Christ takes it as how we're dealing with Him in particular. And it determines... Our eternal destiny. It has everything to do with our worship. It has everything to do with our relationship to God. It's to show whether we indeed trust Christ or don't trust Christ. Whether we helplessly have cried out to Him for salvation or whether we have basically pushed Him away and say, I don't want you. And of course, finally, it's just seen in our imitation of God. We talked a little bit about this, but if we adore Him, if we admire what He is and who He is, we want to be like Him. We want to reflect Him. We want to look like our Father. That's why uh, Paul says, be imitators of God as uh, beloved children. See, the beloved children naturally want to be like my daddy. I want to be like my father. What is my father like? Oh, he's patient. He's forbearing. My father is abundant in love. He he sacrificed his own son for sinners. A father is, as Jesus says, he has he does good things for those that 
ignore him, those that have no gratitude toward him, the wicked every day. And Jesus says, if you're like your father, you will have that same kind of love. That's part of our worship. It's part of our admiration. It's part of our astonishment at his love. And then to seek to be that way. And I end where I began earlier to say, thanks be to God that that's part of his salvation. Because if you're like me, this can make you weak in the knees to think, where am I in regard to love? We can say, oh Lord, oh Lord, save me fully and truly and completely. Make me into your image. Cause me to be a person who shows his true love of God by his love for other people. Let us pray. Lord, we confess to you the many ways in which we do not love one another. Oh, Lord, we confess to you that if if it depended on the fact that we, any given week, were perfect in love, we would all be lost immediately. We thank you that Jesus Christ has loved perfectly. We thank you that he offers us a righteousness to clothe us, to shelter us. We thank you that he has taken away all of our sin. He has died and and been punished for all the lack of love that we have ever shown and ever will show. We thank you, therefore, Lord, that we have a covering in Christ. United to him, we are protected And yet, at the same time, transformation has begun. So that as Paul says, as we gaze at His glory, we're being transformed into that same image from glory to glory. That, Lord, as we give ourselves up to You, as we worship You, as we engage with one another, that we're being changed so that we reflect Jesus Christ more and more. Lord... Make us sincere. Cause us to explore. Even as we see the lack of love we have, what that may mean in our lack of love for you, in our lack of trust in you. Oh, Lord, make us sincere people. Make us sincere people. Thank you, Lord, for your salvation. We trust in no one else. We have no other hope but Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times directions to the church and to subscribe to this podcast our web address is fortworthpca.org fort worth presbyterian is a part of the presbyterian church in america jesus my lord my life my light oh come with blissful rain Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away?